0: Welcome back or welcome to Grateful and Full of Greatness. I'm extremely excited for season number four of this podcast. One of the best aspects of it that I was not expecting when I started years ago um, was how much I would learn from my guests and and how many people would reach out to me on how it's moved them. Um, Thank you for listening. and, And as the title suggests, I remain grateful for your time and attention. I've been encouraged by a significant person in my life to give listeners a peek behind the curtain. So, very quickly and briefly. uh, Over the past several months, there have been several highlights and down times. I was the officiant at my sister's wedding in October. I lost my golden retriever and one of my best friends named Gia to cancer last month. Uh, But in that same breath, my my foundation, Meaningful Growth Foundation, uh, built around the hardships cancer patients face and the help they may need, will be hosting our first annual golf outing this May. For more information, go to my website. Earlier this year, I spoke on the USA lacrosse mental health panel to discuss the ongoing misconceptions around mental health. I moved to Florida, and I've spoken to teams and organizations nationwide about sports psychology, peak performance, and my philosophy on training. So looking ahead, I'm excited for what's on the horizon in 2023. I feel a great sense of humility for the roster of highly decorated guests coming on. So without further ado, uh, let's get started. As always, I'm the host, Mark Lucini, and on this podcast, I sit down with guests who, in my opinion, live their lives with the pursuit of greatness in mind. This platform allows me to discuss and explain the strategies that go into reaching peak performance. This is episode number 45, my guest, Joe Walters, a fellow Nike lacrosse athlete, coach, former Major League Lacrosse teammate, and one of the best to ever play this sport. Joe's list of accolades is overwhelming and inspiring. NCAA Attackman of the Year during his time at University of Maryland, four-time All-American, five-time professional champion, 11-time Major League Lacrosse All-Star, and former member of Team USA, both outdoor and indoor lacrosse. Joe runs a company called J1 Lacrosse, JW1 Lacrosse, apologies, with the mission of teaching individuals, small groups, and larger camps how to attain their fullest potential through the sport he loves and knows so well. As a teammate turned opponent and now friend, I've been able to witness Joe's work ethic, attention to detail, competitive nature blended with a team-first mentality, playmaking ability as a player, and capacity to inspire as a coach, mentor, and friend to many. True champion and leader through and through, I look forward to learning more about Joe's perspectives on performance, his philosophy on development, and most importantly, his story. Joe, thanks for carving out the time. Oh yeah, man! Thanks for having me. I Appreciate it. So, I'm preparing for this conversation. You you expressed this statement to me: the gift of influence on someone is special. I agree, uh, and I want to start it out where it started for you. Could you start with your earliest influences in your life growing up in Rochester, New York?
1: Yeah, I have to. I have to just say, my dad. You know, I uh, I grew up in um, Rochester, and uh, you know, my dad is is he went to brought me to every practice, stayed for every practice um you know to kind of learn the sport um it, it started with basketball I got into wrestling um and that's what brought me to lacrosse so one of my buddies in, uh, when I, that I wrestled with and I was in like second third grade so I was like, a young kid um he asked me what I was doing for the spring and uh you know I didn't know what lacrosse was so he just uh, invited me out our parents talked and uh that's how I got into lacrosse and it was just um you know that's that's where it all started but my dad's definitely my biggest um you know influence um I think as I got older you know he really taught me about sacrifice dedication and um you know setting goals and working hard to attain
0: those goals I'll tell you one thing that resonates with me right away is I remember my first uh, lacrosse catch with my father and and he had a baseball mitt so I know kind of the 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 hurdles they go through to, to be there for us. And one of the things that uh, I wanted to dive right into was other sports that you played and you brought up basketball and wrestling. I I would just continue on the thread of your earliest chapters and say, you know, really early on, um, what were those separating factors for you, right. In terms of your performance here, way before Maryland, uh, maybe as, you know, beyond second grade, but in middle school and high school, what do you think you would point to? Was it the sacrifice and dedication or what else? Um,
1: I think it's got to go just to the sacrifice dedication. You know, when I, any sport that I played, um, <clears throat> whether it be basketball, you know, I, I moved on from wrestling once I got into lacrosse, um, but, you know, basketball and lacrosse uh, mainly, you know, I, I was in love with both sports. I am in love with both sports. So it, it wasn't, you know, it's practice because, you know, it's, it's hard work, but it, it's like, it, I want to be outside. I want to be, you know, shooting hoops. I want to be on the net. Uh, getting shots off. I wanted to be playing catch all the time. And mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, that's what I attribute, um, you know, success at that age. And even, even through college, even in the pros, you know, it's, it's being in love with the sport. And it's, it's putting in that, that time that
0: a lot of guys aren't willing to do. Right, I think there's like a famous story about Mia Hamm at the University of North Carolina, um, and one thing Anson Dorrance points out is her love for the ball, and that's what he looks for in his athletes. Like, would you still be playing with it if we didn't have practice? And I think uh, the story that comes to mind is I was a rookie, right, when we were on the BayHawks together, and I still remember. You know, there was something about you, man. I don't know what it was. You you always got shots up after it, no matter what, right? And I think um, obviously that started at a, at a very young age, but I guess one of the questions I want to ask you in extension to your father, right? What about lacrosse specifically? Who are your earliest influences in teaching you the game and, and, and really uh, creating uh, you as a player?
1: Yeah. You know, my, my, uh, my first coach was Scott Bryson. Uh, he's up for up in Pittsburgh, New York. Um, he was my first youth coach, but, you know, I look at guys like, you know, the Powell brothers, you know, I, I idolized um, Casey, Ryan Powell. Um, that was mainly through middle school and through high school, but, my earliest heroes were the gate brothers. You know, they, um, I was able to go to some clinics that they did in Rochester and it's like, these guys were like God. So to be able to, you know, see them and in the flesh and they're big towering guys. And it's like, man, I just, uh, it just made you fall in love with the sport more. Um, uh, but you know, day to day, man, it was just, it was my dad, you know, it was my dad. Cause it wasn't on TV, you know, lacrosse wasn't on TV. it, it wasn't streamed. We didn't have that. So, um, you know, going to – I went to – my dad brought me to every Syracuse lacrosse home game, um, and that was pivotal in, in, in learning the sport because I, I really believe in if you want to be a great player, it's you have to practice, you have to play a lot, but you have to watch a lot too. You know, you have to watch a lot of lacrosse or whatever sport you're playing
0: um, to see what guys are doing right, to what guys are doing wrong, and, and copy what they're doing. You know, Grateful and full of greatness was too long of a name for me to put on Twitter. So I made it study greatness. Uh, And and that's kind of how I push it out on Twitter because, you know, if you want to be happy, study happiness. If you want to be successful, study success. And I think that has a lot to do with the mental side of the game, right? There's always these instructional and physical things that you can do from a conditioning standpoint, but success leaves clues. One thing I learned really recently, actually, from listening in on a webinar about alcohol and addiction were things that lead to uh, lasting performance enhancement and what doesn't. So the the things that don't lead to lasting performance enhancement are big goals alone without an action plan, uh, information alone, and then motivation. That was really surprising to me. Everybody goes, oh, you should be motivated. You should be motivated. And you touched upon one of the things that actually leads to lasting behavioral change, which is role models right? So if if you don't have role models, right, you're going to be in trouble. So you brought brought up the gate brothers, you brought up your dad, you brought up the pals. And then the other two things are standards. And then an action plan, like I said, that uh, big goals alone without an action plan don't work. But I really like how you point to the role models. It's why I start these podcasts always with the same thing, like who were your earliest influences, right? Because you didn't do it alone, right? You don't read obituaries about somebody who's a born orthopedic surgeon, right? They they, they (laughs) learn about this over time, right? So Um, One of the biggest things that I study in sports psychology is is – career transition and transition in general, it's very hard because you create such an identity around things. And then you got to uh, move on to a different thing. I'm I'm not necessarily talking about you going from player to coach. I want to still stay in the realm of you as a player. I want to talk about that middle school to high school, and then getting into Maryland by the end of your answer, if you don't mind, could you tell me about that evolution or that area, right? Either physically or psychologically, or or what was that era of your life like? Yeah. You know, I
1: think, um, Yeah, you know, talked about I just touched on Syracuse. You know, I, I like was the biggest Syracuse fan. Like, if you know, I always I uh, always talk about it that they never recruited me. And back then, Syracuse really never recruited west of Syracuse. It was like Syracuse, Long Island, Maryland, um, and, and it just wasn't a thing. So you know, but I always thought about it, if they would have sent me any letter say, "Hey, like we think you're okay lacrosse. <laughs> you want to you want to come try it out?" I would have been there no matter what it was so uh but going to those games man like you know and back then I think it was 22 straight final fours and obviously a bunch of championships in there but Syracuse went to 22 straight final fours so you know and, and the final four was an event that my my dad and my friends went to every year up until high school because once you got into high school you, you played during the spring spring break um you played into May so but like you know going to those games during the season, seeing them at the biggest stage, right? Because the Final Four, I don't know if it still is, but it's still kind of the pinnacle of lacrosse, you know, the Final Four. Um, but seeing them at the biggest stage, like, you know, those experiences really, um, really kind of made me strive to be great, you know, to be to want to be at that level. Um, so when I was in middle school, you know, I, by that point I was already – you know, probably the best kid on the team. Uh, I played midfield, so I could play mid uh play attack and defense, play play all over the field. Um and then when I got to, to high school, um, I went to a High School. I was I was a freshman on varsity. It was only two of us. Freshman on varsity, and I was playing man up. I wasn't starting, but I was playing man up and I'd get some some runs uh you know every game. But um I, I was I was a small freshman, so I was I was really small. You know, I was, ai think, a 13-year-old freshman. I'm super young for my grade, so I didn't start growing until my sophomore year, uh, sophomore summer this is when I hit a growth spurt. But, you know, it, it was just, again, like, you know, the, it, it, it wasn't that I had a hard time with not playing a lot as a freshman. I think I was just pumped to be on, on varsity and, and uh, be a part of that. But, you know, wanting to – be be at that next level and want to play. And and, uh, when I got to my sophomore year, I think statistically that might have been my best season as a sophomore um, Mm. because I was
0: just ready to go, ready to play. I'll tell you, uh, first on the Syracuse front, last year was the first time I was introduced to – Gary Gate, and then uh, this year I'm working with Syracuse Women's Lacrosse as, as their mental coach, and it's been really exciting um, to see uh, that, and I bring it up for this reason, the environment of excellence that you were talking about, right? You, you brought up the 20, 22 years in a row sort of thing, and that's something that I'm really encouraging on an individual level when working one-on-one with somebody or small group. Like, what does your environment look like at home? Is it excellent, right? So that you have easy choices, right? Are your, are your workout things available, right? Is water available? Is it a bright room? It's all these different things of setting it up. So it's easy to be excellent, if that, if that easier, I, you know, to, to be excellent, to work hard through that. Um, and then one of the questions I actually had prepared before we even talked was uh, to an extremely talented student athlete that may be listening to this conversation you know, what piece of advice would you give to him or her? Because they already are attaining that like all conference or all state or all American status. Right. So uh, it's really hard to stay with it. Maybe, maybe something happened between your sophomore, junior and and senior, because you probably had a chip on your shoulder from freshman to sophomore year. What advice would you give to that, that student athlete that has already experienced some success, but still has to stay on a track for, for a long-term excellence? It's a really good question. Um, and I take
1: it back to kind of high school and even college. You know, I think, I think that our goals individually are different than as a team, right? So I always wanted to be great individually, but the reason why you play is to win, right? So what can I do individually to help this team win? And, you know, it doesn't always work out. You know, there's only one winning team in a season. So, you know, everyone has, I'm sure, similar goals. But ultimately, one team is going to win it all. So, um, but but I think that's kind of it. You know, at Maryland specifically, you know, as a freshman, I was, you know, All-American, but I was uh, ACC Rookie of the Year and, um, you know, starter. I think I led the team in in points maybe. Um, But losing in the Final Four, losing to Virginia, like that wasn't it. So it's like next year, what what can we do better? What can I do better to help us get back to help us win that that big game? And um, and again, like I, I you know at Maryland we went to three Final Fours, never won the big one, but you know I think that's what drives what that's what drove me um, in, in high school. My freshman year, I talked about that we lost to Pittsburgh in the sectionals, and they were undefeated. Um, we lost, I think it was in overtime. So like that drove me for the next year, and it's like as a sophomore we played uh, we lost to Victor in the championship, and it's like that was a team that we should have beat. So it's like that drove me the next year. My junior year we won sectionals, like we finally won it. Um, and then senior year I think we we lost in, in the finals again to to Fairport, but it's like I think it's 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 the team goals that that really drive, drive drove me. You know, it's, uh, it's individually when you're attaining success, that's great. Um, you know, you, you, I always believe, and I've tried to tell players this, you know, it's always think about what you can do to help the team. What can you do individually to help the team? If you're a guy that, that isn't a skilled player, but you are a hustler, you are a vacuum on the ground, you can get ground balls, then do that the best you possibly can, right? Just do your job. If you're, you know, if you're a goalie, make make the saves you have to make, get the ball out, make make good good outlet passes. Like just do your job. Don't try don't try to do too much, right? Goalies uh, they don't want to come out of the cage and put the team at risk. Like just do your job. You know, if you're if you're a goal scorer, then your job is to score goals, right? And you need to stay after and shoot. Um, so it's those those
0: messages I try to get across, and those are things that really help me. You know, right from the start, um, you know, staying. In one thread, psychology, and then bringing it back to the story, there's a guy named uh, John Piaget, brilliant guy who talks about the developmental psychology of individuals, and he said, we live inside of a game, whether we want to or not, and in order to be invited to the most amount of games, you have to uh, understand the art of competition and cooperation, right? So you can't just always, you know, Mm -hmm. never pass the ball, compete, 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 but you also can't be, you know, whatever everybody means, you know, whatever that's too cooperative, right? So it's this yin and yang. And I love how you brought up the individual and the team, the individual and the team, uh, coach Baxter, my defensive coordinator, when I was at Yale always used to say this line, it was like at the top of every scatter report was the the play you want to make is always secondary to the play. The bulldog defense needs you to make. And I really goes down to what you said from a real clarity standpoint. And then the last thought I want to bring up is there's this article, it's a New York Times article called The Zen of Weightlifting. It could really be called The Zen of Lacrosse. It could be called The Zen of whatever your craft is, right? And uh, it really came down to three things. And that was the weight room was a place where you have autonomy. It's just you to work on yourself. A place of mastery, so progressive overload and get better, better, better. Same with lacrosse. And then the third one, which you ended your answer with, was belonging. Right. And that's that team goal. Right. And if you just think that you're in a silo, right, there's no such thing as a successful hermit crab sort of idea, then you're not going to be successful. It's that belonging to something bigger than you. And and I'm sorry to go here, Joe, but you brought up the losses against Victor and all that. But I I really want to go into the biggest hardships and setbacks because I think that those created you. You know, listeners can really resonate. You know, there's no such thing as a great story without a great problem. So what would you point to as, as some of your biggest hardships or setbacks? You know, whether it was high school, Maryland, or beyond. You know, one in particular. You know, it's not not something I'm proud of, obviously. But my, my uh,
1: before my, oh God, before my junior year in high school, um, and this is after we lost my sophomore year, right? So we, you know, we're coming off of a, you know a, a loss against Victor, and and that's when we moved from Class A, which is like the big schools. To class b like the, the classification um adjusts a little bit so we're in class b and that's a that's a that's a team we should beat um so we you know we, we cracked the bed there and then going into my junior year it's a big year especially individually for recruiting it's your big year big big high school season um before you can really get recruited and i got suspended from school the week before uh, the season started and that was like you know <laughs> big, 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 uh, big setback. And, you know, um, my, my, my parents, my dad really came down on me and, you know, out of school suspension, um, just not something I'm proud of. So, you know, that was, that was tough, especially with all the things on the line. Um, but it just, it it really, it's almost a blessing because it made me focus on what I had to do and get my, get my shit together. So, um, it really set the tone though for the season and that, all right, like that, that's over with now it's time mm-hmm. to work. You know, now it's not, now I need to prove to everyone at school. Now I need to prove to everyone that I've let down that mm-hmm. it was a big mistake. And, and I, uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm accepting this challenge of, of bouncing back here. And that's, a Joe. you know, I had a good, good season, but obviously we won sectionals. Um, so that was, but yeah, that's a big setback.
0: I appreciate your vulnerability, man. I appreciate your vulnerability because uh, I think, yeah, in the in the in the in the moment, it, it's a uh, it's a problem and something that could be caused frustration. But in the long term, it causes fascination because you're probably a better coach. You probably could speak to those in high school better, right? Because you've been there, yeah. right? And that's what this is all about. And uh, I appreciate you you opening up about that because I think those type of type of things make you more channeled, right? Something that's really obvious in psychology is pain is leverage. And usually people that are lukewarm in terms of pain, it's like, they're not going to change. You know, it's like, it kind of hurts, you know, whatever. But you really have that out of school suspension, right? What a metaphorical thing in your life for, you know, let me get back into school. Let me get back into the team. Let me get it back into the hearts and minds of those people that maybe have thought um, different about me. So staying on this thread, but a little less harsh, strengths and weaknesses, something that I'm often talking about is, you know, your strengths and your weaknesses are the same. So your strengths uncontrolled uh, would lead to your weakness. You know, for, for example, somebody who's extremely extroverted talks over other people, but they're also really great communicators, just as an example. But over the course of your career, lacrosse-wise, what would you say came more naturally to you? And what did you really have to work on as a player? Ooh, what came naturally to me? Um, I think what came
1: naturally to me is just, it's just my work ethic. You know just just knowing you know if you ask anyone when i went in high school yes anyone in high school you ask anyone at maryland and they will without a doubt tell you that i was the hardest worker right on the team you know you would you know chris pasadilla um like just just uh wrote on one of my posts recently made a comment about like you know i can remember joe in college like you know shooting on his own, hours after practice, like randomly, even days when we did not practice, he was out there shooting. It's like that. That 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 was me, and that's I try to get that through to players every day. How you know? How do you do that? How do you get that? Every single day, that? I try and tell them like, you know, it's not. Th- there's this misconception that you know, oh, I'm going to go to my team's practice, and there's there's kids, especially where we live now, right? Especially where I live now, where kids play on. Three, four different teams. They're playing basketball. They're playing lacrosse. They're playing, um, you know, whatever it is, soccer, um, and whatever sport they want to be great at. But let's say they have five practices a week of all their sports. It's like, well, I get it. You're busy, right? Like that's that's a lot. Five practices. I mean, it isn't an hour and a half each day, but um, <laughs> it, it, you know, I get, you're, I get it, you're busy, but like, please don't think that going to your team's practice is enough. It's not. It's, it's not even close you know the touches that you get at, at lacrosse practice with your team are like minuscule compared to what you need every day you know you're not going to be a great shooter or feeder or passer um, or defender or whatever it is by getting 15 shots at your team's practice that's, that's not going to do it so you need to spend time on your own. It doesn't have to be with me. Like, that's what I do. I, I train. So it doesn't have to be with me. I don't, I don't, it's not that I, I'm looking for for that. But it's like if you want to be great, and that's something that you need to decide. If you want to be great at it, then this is what you have to do. You got to put time in on your own. It's not good enough just for team uh, to go to team practice. That's, that's a fact.
0: Well, I'll tell you, this isn't uh, a serious issue that's going on. Just in terms of being approached, I'm sure you get it as well you know, coach, I'm lacking confidence, right? And and it really comes from, right? I say it this way, when you're at your team practice, your coach is doing everything he or she can to get you ready for that upcoming opponent from a strategy perspective, which has nothing to do with your individual improvement, right? You already brought it up from the team versus individual thing. So I think one of the most fascinating things about talking to to guys like you and, and women that are peak performers as well is that they, there's these prerequisites. Yeah. Cool. Right. Right. Prerequisites. But then there's these principles and details that all these peak performers do that like really make the difference. And that's really why I wanted to have this conversation with you because it dovetails right into my next question for you, right? As a coach now, what messages do you find yourself repeating the most? you already shared one of them, which is, you know, it's not enough to just go to practice and expect the results, but as a coach, right, you're going and doing these clinics, you're doing these larger group things, right. When you're speaking, right. And looking to pass on your knowledge of the game and otherwise, what message are you you most often repeating? Yeah. I mean, the, the one that I just, uh, just talked about, you know, that's, that's the,
1: that's the, the one, the main one, you know, um, put, putting in the effort, um, outside of your, 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 team's practice, you know, that's, that's gotta be the um, the fundamental principle that you need to understand. Right. Um, and every time, you know, every time I, I train kids, there's two rules. There's two things that I have for them that I need out of them. Number one is hundred percent physical effort. You know, if you come in or, or if, if you're training on your own and you're walking through stuff, you're going half speed well, when it comes time to game time, you've got to go full speed. You're not going to be used to doing it full speed. You're going to make you're going to make mistakes because you're not used to shooting on the run, sprinting away from a defenseman, right? Um, you're not going to be accurate shooting in a corner if you shoot the ball 75%, right? So you need to shoot it hard, hard every time you shoot and get in the habit of training your body to go through that shooting motion as fast as you can, as explosive as you can Every single time, while being accurate, that's how you become mm-hmm. a great shooter. So all of that, you know, hundred percent physical efforts, number one. Number two is the one that's even harder, right? Hundred percent mental effort. This is the tricky one, right? So every time, every time I correct a mistake, every time I teach something, it can't go in one ear and out the other. You've got to be willing. You have to be willing to listen, really process what I'm saying, and then do it. You know, I, I can't tell you how many times you know I go over let's say shooting mechanics and, you know, kids making a mistake, you know, their, their butt ends way out here, it's flared out and the balls sound that way. it's like, well, you just got to straighten your stick out, get your hands back more, you know, follow through the right way, get your, you know, the path to stick the right way. And they don't listen. They just do the same thing over and over and over. You got to have that mental effort to like really listen, understand it. Right. If you have a question asked, but like really try and listen to what I'm saying and then do it. Even if it feels super weird, right. It's going to feel weird. If you're doing it the right way, you doing it a way that's not something you're used to doing. It's probably a good thing, right? If we're correcting a mistake, it's a good thing. So you got to be willing to,
0: you know, let it feel uncomfortable, and then it'll get comfortable. I, I love it, you know, bringing up Piaget again about the developmental side. He had this thing: um, expiration, assimilation, accommodation. Which expiration was seek, right? The, the the assimilation is understanding, uh, and then the accommodation is really, really getting it. For for using layman's terms, but there's four stages of learning. In anything, and that's and I'll use the the big terms first, and then I'll, I'll I'll break it down. But it's unconscious incompetence, not knowing what you don't know, right? It's like learning lacrosse for the very first time, and then conscious incompetence. Oh, that's lacrosse. I know I don't know how to do that. And then a good coach will take you to the third level, which is conscious competence, right? I know how to do it. And and for the listeners that are just listening, Joe was moving his hands and and showing. Uh, motions about how to get better, right? That's just like the, I have to think and then I do it. I have to think and then I do it, right? You just re- released a video the other day. I watched you of the quick release, right? If you have to think, that, that's, that's not going to help you uh, in those, in those big moments. And the last one is unconscious competence, which is, you know, Tiger Woods over a golf ball, Serena Williams over a tennis ball, these, these sort of things where it's just reps, 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 reps. Joe Walters hitting a corner sort of idea and the layman's turns in that right? For all that conscious incompetence talk is ignorance, right? You just don't know. Then awareness, which is, I kind of that gathered that's what you were saying with the listening side of things, right? Now you're aware of what you must do. The next is change. And the fourth is mastery, right? So you start to change, right? And then you start to master that, right? So which takes us to a beautiful part of this, of, of this conversation, Joe, is I don't want to talk about game time, I want to talk about the pressure moments. I want to go inside the pressure moments. So like you were exceptional in those moments, right? From high school to college and beyond, right? Uh, I've seen the videos, right? The times it's almost like you crave those moments. You know, Wayne Gretzky talks about that a lot. You know, when the pressure was turned up, when the heat was turned up, he remembers going back to his nine-year-old self and being in the backyard. So when you reflect over those highest pressure moments in your playing career, how how were you able to thrive? You know, I think it's important to, I played some, you know, huge
1: games, some big games, and it's, uh, you know, there's no doubt about it, the night before, the day of, you have those butterflies, you know, you you Mm. feel that, 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 that anxiousness, that, man, like this is, uh, this is, this is it, this is what you play for. Um, and, And, you know, I think it's important to remember this, is no matter the, the level you know, whether it's back lacrosse, high school, college, pro, there's only going to be two outcomes, right? One team's going to win. One team's going to lose. That's it. Okay. It's it's not going to go either way. It's, it's not something different. Someone's going to be successful and someone isn't. And everyone has the same goals. They want to be the winning team. Um, so I just think it's important to realize that. And I think that takes some of the pressure off, you know, there's two outcomes. That's, that's the only thing that's going to happen, man. Like, you know, at the end of the day, like it's not going to be if you know we're we're out here to do a job. We're out here to win, um, and, and and all of the work that you've put in your entire life is on display. Mm-hmm. You know, everything's on display. Everything you prepared for, um, it, it's it's time to showcase it. But at the end of the day, like it's 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 going to go two ways, and just just do your job right. Be willing to to be willing to to fail, be willing to fail. You know, I think like Mm. some guys, some guys in those moments I've been on teams where guys that are good players that they don't want the ball. Like they've, they've physically said, like you take it. I don't want it. It's like, all right. (laughs) Like that, that's great for me. Like I I want the ball, but you know, you gotta be willing to fail because if you're not Mm. willing to fail, there's no way you're going to succeed. Right. There's no way you're going to hit, you're going to hit a, hit a big shot if you're not willing to take it, you know? So I think it's important just to remember that, you know, remember that there's, there's only going to be two outcomes, be willing to fail. Um, just understand that. But, man, all the all the effort that you put in, it's it's that's what you play for. And uh, I think that's what has helped me get through those big moments. And one in particular, I think back to uh, when I was playing with the Nighthawks, we were playing for our uh, our third straight championship uh, 3 P. No, no professional team has ever done that. That's something that I'm like super, super proud of. Like, out of all the things that I've done in my lacrosse life, you know, I'm I'm probably most proud of that. Um, and there's reasons because I was I struggled at box. I wasn't a good box player. Um, it took me a lot of time. It took me a lot of effort to get to a place where I was seeing success. Seeing that. Why? The why did
0: you? Why did you struggle? What What would you say is the reason you struggled?
1: You know, there's some guys that, you know, as, as offensive players and even defensive players uh, that play, that are field, field guys that play in the NLL, I mean, you know, it's a different game. Like, even though you know how to fundamentally play defense, you know how to play a pick and roll, these guys that you're going up against, they've been doing it their entire life. And they know, like, the little angles and how to, like, you know, hit your hip so that you can't turn. You know what I mean? Like they know things that we don't know. So, but but for an offensive player, you know, I struggle with. And there's guys that there's guys that pick up box super easy. Guys like Drew Westervelt, Brendan Mundorf, Casey Powell, Even though Casey played a little bit in Canada, so he had a little bit more experience. But there's guys that just pick up box as an offensive player easier than others. I was a guy that that it took it took time. I did not pick it up, and for me, it was a struggle shooting. It was a struggle with the two man game. Um, those are the two main things. So it took me. My coach, Mike Hazen, who's still the coach of the Nighthawks, um, he invited me up to play for Brampton in Senior A, uh, up 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 in Canada after my third season of being a healthy scratch a lot, um, just not not being good. He you know he asked me like you know do you want to do you want to be you want to you want to play like do you want to do this or do you want to quit like there's there's you know there, there's only two ways you're gonna go here you're either gonna make the effort or, you know, you're, you're probably going to get cut next year. Um, and, and, you know, I, I was never a quitter. And uh, I I said, yeah, man, I'll play. Like, you let me know where where to be, I'll be there. And uh, my dad, you know, talk about my dad all the time, but my dad was the guy that uh, – not every game, but he came up and we would drive three hours up with me. I would play a game, drive three hours home. And I did that for – that was all summer long while I played for the Hamilton Nationals. And it's like – you know, I, first off, I gained a huge respect for guys like Brody Merrill, guys the indoor players that played MLL and were playing Senior A. Man, I, like I had heard stories like how that went, like guys playing four games during the week and then playing our game on the weekend. It's like, oh wow, like you know, it sounds sounds hard, but I had no idea what that commitment really looked like. So that just made me tougher. Like that just that that experience just made me a tougher player. And, you know, talk about – I talked about this the other day. Coach Albarici for Army for West Point. I, I, uh, I don't know if you know him at all or have heard him talk at all. but Got into his camp since I was a little guy. Unbelievable um, speech that I heard him give uh, a group of high school players. We talked about toughness. And, you know, when we think about toughness, we think about, like, a guy's tough. A guy can stand in the ring and take a punch. You know, those are the things we think about, like hard-hitting. But toughness, he talked about, like is guys, guys at West Point that, you know, have to get up at four in the morning, you know, have to get up and make their bed and go to class. You know, when when most of us at Maryland, I'm sleeping until 10, you know what I mean? Like things like that. Those are tough. Those are tough guys, right? Making that ultimate sacrifice uh, for your country, like that's tough. So for me, you know, I gained a level of toughness, not in, not in the fact that like I was playing with You know, playing it up against guys that have wooden sticks. Like, yeah, that that made me tougher as a player. Like, now, like, a normal cross-checking field doesn't bother me. But driving the three hours, getting the shit kicked out of me for two and a half, right, in in a 100-degree barn, like, you know, indoor arena on concrete, um, and then driving three hours home, and then doing it the next day. Like, that's tough. That's tough. And and, and so that's where I gained a completely different – um, outlook, a completely different, um, view of indoor lacrosse and the commitment that these guys in the NLL had made their entire life, hmm. you know? So when kids, when kids that I work with that, 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 um, that get a little upset when they have to train on grass instead of field turf, you know, like that is wild to me. When I, when I think about kids in Canada and Ontario playing on concrete floors, in hundred degree, you know, uh, heat that's tough, you know? And, and I think that's, a, you know, you see that you see, you know, Canadian lacrosse and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's on par now. I think it's they're they're, they've won the world championships. Like they're, they're in some ways, you know, better than, than, than American players. Like there's that, that, that levelness now, um, and, you know, I attribute, obviously there's a lot to that, but they're, they're a different kind of player and I gained a lot of respect and, and a completely different view of of what it takes to play indoor from those experience that summer, those two sides did two, two summers in a row.
0: Well, I'll tell you what I, you gave us so much there, and, and I'm going to do my <laughs> best to, to, to pull it, pull out the, the main things. And I, and I first want to go back to what you said about wanting the ball under pressure, right? Um, in, in the weight room, it's progressive overload, whatever muscle you rep out over time will get stronger. And in, when it comes to the mental side and the brain side, the neurological side, it's neuroplasticity. So the, the malleable nature of the brain. And one of the coolest things that I've come to understand is that you have a better chance and it's almost like you increase the likelihood of it happening when you want to learn something. So that goes all the way back to you saying with, with your players, the 100% mental focus, right? And, and their willingness to, to listen. I want to change that word though, Joe. It's not willingness, it's eagerness, an eagerness to listen, right? A bulging eye sort of thing. What else does Joe have to teach me? Because this is going to matter when I'm out on the field, you know? And then going to what you talked about with toughness, um, you know, uh, what's his name who wrote the book, uh, Can't Hurt Me, David Goggins decides to call um, discipline, perform perform without purpose. And I like that, right? Because it's this idea of making promises to yourself and keeping them and, and doing things, regardless of how you feel, right? Uh, Obviously, it's important to have those friends and loved ones that you can talk to and vent to and and get things off your chest when you're not doing well emotionally and all that. And, and it's really important to understand that if you really want to be great, you can't be doing it just when you feel like doing it. It doesn't matter. Your feelings and emotions lie to you all the time. They're not, they're not legitimate. lot of the time, right? You have to have that time where you're talking about it with people that you love and trust and then toughness. I guess that what it leads me to is the consistency over time, right? You can't be tough just one time. Like you brought up with the army story, 4 a.m. every morning, not just every once in a while, like every morning, doing it all the time. Something that you said that really resonated with me because it's really important to talk about is you've been a healthy scratch, right? That doesn't come up in your bio, right? You You, You being the the of the year and all this, that doesn't come up, right? But you being a healthy scratch, handling that, right? Working through that, committing to that, this uh, Nighthawks 3 there's a wall there. There's a wall there, and you have to lean through and get through that somehow. So I guess where I would go to in the in the term of toughness is I do think there's a longevity aspect to it, right? You have to do and sustain that type of discipline for years, and you've done that, right? You've played at this game you know, not for two or three years, right? For, for, for many in the teens, right? You know the answer, right? 16, 17, 18, something like this. When you think about how long you were able to perform at such a high level, right? Work ethic got you through the door, right? What kept you there? Wanting to win. Wanting to win. Uh,
1: that That's that, you know, I talk about that a lot, but um, every single year, you know, and I, my, one of, my, uh, one of the, my favorite teammates I've ever had, and you've had him too, is Brody Merrill. Um, you know, I've I've had a chance to win two championships with Brody Merrill, and you know I've also been on the losing side with Brody Merrill. And you know he's a guy that I know he shares the same the same um, the same goal, the same why. I know he just wants to win. Um, I know that that's what fuels why he's playing to this day. You know he wants to. I'm sure he wants to win an NLL championship something that he hasn't done before I'm sure that's that's driving him it has to be has to be, um, has to be. and you know I remember winning with him and then I remember in 2000 I want to say it was 2013 we lost together against the the BayHawks and it was in Philadelphia and I remember looking at him and I remember him being like really disappointed and I was like so hurt by that. Like, it just really bothered me that he was so hurt. And, and and not only do I think that that's what makes teams, like, tight, you know, that was a team that we played together for for a bunch of years together, like five, six years, um, the Rochester Rattlers, and then on to the Hamilton Nationals, Toronto Nationals. But, you know, winning is just something that that's what, you know, really lit my fire every single year. Um, and I think if you don't have that goal, like, you're just – kind of in it for the wrong reasons. I don't know mm. what else, in my opinion, I don't know what else there, there is to, to do something competitively for if you're not in it to win. And, you know, once, and, 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 you know, I was talking about this, but any season that ends in anything that isn't a win, isn't a championship, is a letdown. It's a disappointment. You know, because, because you, you've spent the time, you know, you've put the workouts in all, all year, you know, you, you've spent time shooting, you've spent, you know, time watching film, you've done all that. If you don't have anything to show for it, no moral victories, right? Like, it's not like, Oh, you know, we, we started 0 and 5 and we came back and we were 500 team. Like that's, who cares? Like you didn't win. Like, that's not, that's not it. So that's what, that's what um, drove me for all those years. Um, And, you know, once you, and I talk about this, once you taste what it, what, what that feels like, once you know what it feels like to win, that's why you want it again. That's why you play to win because there's no better feeling. There is no better feeling. You know, you know what it feels like. You know, once you have that, 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 uh, that excitement that there's nothing better, you need it. You need it again. And every guy that, you know, every teammate that I've had that hasn't won, I want them to win. Like I want you to feel that. I want you to understand what that feels like. And that'll help you know it helps them get it uh but that yeah that's why i play, man that's why i played for so long
0: because i just want to win it's so so good joe and and one of the things that comes to mind is you know a few answers ago you said you have to be willing to fail right and now you're saying you want to win so this willing to fail wanting to win sort of idea and what resonates with me is that that imagery that came to mind when you said you know seeing brody disappointed Right. I would say in a lot of ways, Joe, that was a win, though. The fact that you were able to connect with a person in a locker room that deeply, that's a win, man. That is a huge win. I, I just finished reading this book called The Alter Ego Effect by Todd Herman. And he said, uh, usually purpose is derived by one of four things, uh, trauma, destiny altruism, doing something for others, or self-expression. And I really do believe peak performance is self-expression at its highest level, right? Because, you know, you're an attackman. I'm a source of defensive midfielder, right? Blaze is a goalie, right? Everybody's just expressing themselves through their craft. And I I would argue to say that as I've gotten older inside of lacrosse, um, winning came in many different forms, but you're absolutely right on the jubilation that comes from raising the trophy, and that that gives you that insatiable appetite to come back. But so did the loss, right? So sort of the losing of a championship really makes you come back too? It's the same thing that that drove you in high school, right? That getting uh, out suspended, right? That that sort of failure. It's like no, there's an edge here, and we're going to do something about it. So I want to ask you a two part question that has a lot to do because uh, I'm very conscious of your time and I have so many more to ask you is what, um what are, and perhaps you already answered the first part, but what are the biggest lessons you've taken with yourself as a player into being a better coach? And then I want you to elaborate on, on JW1 lacrosse and its mission, its vision and, and how that experience has been for you.
1: So what is, what have I learned as a player to help me as a coach? Yes. Yeah. You know, I think, I think, you know, I kind of touched on it, but just, you know, as a player, I've just learned so much about what, what works and what doesn't work. You know, I think what works is just, you have to just be willing to put the effort in. You know, I just know that that's the recipe of success. It just is. You know, if you look at any, any elite athlete, if you look at, you know, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, you know alan iverson you look at any sport right the best of the best there's no there's no secret there isn't like a, a a magical potion that you that you drink you have to you have to just be fully engulfed in your sport you have to be and you know it's it's something that it's hard to it is hard to to relay that and like tell kids like if you're and especially we live in an age now, right? Where kids are just glued to their phones and they're playing video games. But you know, it's hard to tell parents and kids like you need to do more, you know, like stop doing this, you know, do this. You know, sometimes it's 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 tough to do that, but I try and get that through. You know, you you just instead of instead of you know, you'll be surprised how many kids that I that I work with that I ask them if they watched some of the college games. And they're like, no, they played? Like what are you doing? Like what? Actually, what are you doing on the weekend? Like I get that you probably had a game, but all of these games, we live in an amazing era where every game is streamed, and every game you can just watch on demand. And you know, you need to spend an hour and a half, two hours just watching a game. Like even if you can't get on the field, which you know, spend some time in your backyard with your stick work. But that's fine. Let's say it's been it was raining like crazy yesterday. Awesome, watch a game. And it's like, those are things that I did, right? Like, and and, and there wasn't games on TV, but man, I went to every Syracuse game. I went to Nazareth College games. I went to RIT lacrosse games. And it's like, you need to do that. You need to watch, Um, you know, playing basketball. Man, like I was in, and I treated, Mark, I treated basketball just just as, as I treated lacrosse. When it was basketball season, first off, I didn't play a fall sport. During the fall, I did basketball workouts all fall so that when I was, when it got to basketball season in the winter, I was ready to go, right? So I treated fall as my off season for basketball, but it was like in season because I was fully involved with basketball. And it's like every single night, my dad, my dad would get out of work. He was a doctor. He would get out of work, pick me up from my mom's restaurant or wherever I was at home. And we would go to the YMCA. Um, go to the YMCA and I would either play pick up with dudes that were in high school. And this is when I was like in sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, I would play pickup with the inner city high school kids. Um, I'd do that for a while. And then I would play, um, I would play, I'm sorry, I would, I would shoot hoops with my dad. And we would have to make 300 uh, free throws, 203 pointers every night. And that was non-negotiable. That was just it uh, before we left. And I'm not saying that that's like, you know, uh, you know, I, I have a buddy, Tyler Ralph, who's a, um, he's an NBA skills trainer. And he, play, he played at McQuaid High School. Um, he played, you know, Division I basketball. Like, he was uh, Mr. Basketball of New York State. And it's like, I'm not saying that that's like the right workout to do, but that's what we did. You know what I mean? That's what me and my dad did. That's what, you know, working on my ball handling. That's what we knew. Um, but that's just what it takes. You know, there's no, it, you know, it takes what it takes. I don't know who said that quote. Someone's—I don't know if that's a famous one, but it's a great book. Great, great,
0: great book. Trevor Moab. It takes what it takes. It's one probably One of the most highly recommended books I give is, is "It Takes uh, What It Takes." I'm gonna, I'm gonna read that book, man. But Like it, it, that's, that's you have
1: to it. It's absolutely it. It just takes what it takes. There's no, there's no way around it. Um, so that's the main message. Like I know as a player, I know as a player. Like that's what I, I did, um, and I try and relay that and just show kids that.
0: I'll tell you, you know, staying on the front of the uh, NBA skills coach, that's very cool that you brought up Tyler. I I heard in passing, I was just studying a a little bit, and I found this guy, uh, Drew Hanlon, um, who's an NBA skills coach. Uh, I think last year or the year before, he had three of the top five point scores in the league, right? Joel Bede being one of them, Uh, Tatum from the uh, Celtics being another, one of the Washington Wizards, whether it was – Bradley eel or, or yeah, yeah. and uh, you're gonna love this quote: "A skill is not truly acquired until it holds up under pressure." That's that's true. Mm. Drew, drew Hamlin's right, and that has a lot to do with what you're saying about hitting the corner 100% physically, 100% mentally. A skill is not truly acquired until it holds up under pressure, and that yeah, I love the diction you you use, Joe. You know, fully engulfed in your sport, right? Well, what a what a powerful way of looking at things. So. Uh, here's a kind of a, a question that I'm not even sure it's true. I, I wanted to ask you, when your mind is away from the game, how do you invest your free time? Uh, or is it, you know, do, do you find yourself pretty much fully engulfed in your sport for most of the time? You know, <clears throat>
1: it's, 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 it's a blessing, right? Like I talked about it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm truly lucky. I'm truly fortunate and blessed to be able to, now that my playing career is done, um, to just give on all the knowledge, give on all the experiences um, and work with kids to help them reach their goal. You know, back when I was growing up, there was, I didn't have that. You know, I don't know if, you know, lacrosse obviously has grown like crazy since then, you know, since uh, 19, like 95, right? That's when, I was, uh, that, that's when I was a little guy. So like since like mid-90s, late 90s, the game is completely different. Um, but I didn't have, you know, a pro player ex-pro player to work with. I had my dad um, and I had camps to go to. Um, I went to Nazareth camp every year. I went to like RIT camp, Princeton camp. Like I went to lacrosse camps growing up. Um, But yeah, man, like, you know, I I think just those experiences, like that's just what I'm trying to give back. You know, just everything that, everything that I've been, um, I've been fortunate enough to do in, in this, in this lacrosse life. Um, it's given me everything. It's taken me all around the world. It's it's taken me all over the country. Um, and it's just, uh, so yeah, I am fully invested in lacrosse. Um, and, and, and to a fault sometimes, you know, to a fault. You know, my girlfriend and I, you know, I'm sure there's, there there are many days where it's like, you know, you have to go train really. Like, you know, you need to have your own time too. And she's absolutely right. Um, and it's tough. It is tough. It's tough to have a work-life balance when you not only love what you do, um, but people depend on you too. You know, people are depending on you to, to work with their kids and to work with them. So it's difficult, but, um, that's what I'm struggling with. And it's something that I'm, I'm definitely working on, uh, personally, but you know, when it's not, when it's not lacrosse, when it's not working, it's, it's traveling, you know, we love to travel. We got two great dogs. So you know, we, we've uh, found a lot of joy just bringing them to different parks, bringing them to beaches, and just watching them run around. Um, and you're a dog guy, so you get it. But you know, it's uh, those are things that we love to do. So moving over to the other side of the bay, we're going to be a Millbrae Burling game. Uh, right, it's like 15 minutes right on the beach, right on the, uh, the Pacific Ocean. So it'll be nice to get over there. A lot of hiking. Um, yeah. So that's. Uh, but yeah, traveling around. I think. I think uh, over Easter break. Uh, spring break coming up. We're gonna make our way up to uh, Oregon. Gonna get to meet with Mike and just you nice. know get get on campus and see see Nike, show Adrian Nike. I've been there once before, but just get up there. You know we've we've been to take a little trip, but
0: it'll be a nice time to get up there. Yeah, Mike Fisher, Nike Cross, excellent guy. I'm really grateful <laughs> yeah. for him. I'll t- I'll tell you as we wrap up here. Um, one of the small questions I, I want to ask you: What's your favorite location on the planet that you ever been? You have a favorite place that you you point to?
1: Oh man. I mean, we used to live in paradise. We used to live in Manhattan beach, California. Um, so like that, that's, that's absolutely, uh, I mean, we were, we were fortunate to live there. We lived there through COVID, which was kind of a weird time, but, um, you know, Manhattan beach is a special place. I think we, we hope to one day maybe make it back down there um, eventually. Uh, but another place, uh, that Adrian's family, uh, has a place there, but Naples, Naples, Florida is a really, really beautiful Amazing. place too. Yeah.
0: Amazing. So I, uh, Last one or two questions. One would be, uh, where, where can listeners find you? Where, 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 should they, where should they go to listen more? Find out what you're doing and, and about your work. Yeah, so
1: um, on Instagram and Twitter, at jwalters1, uh, jwalters1. Uh, my website, jw1lacrosse.com. You know, I've got uh, my camps up there. You can contact me on that that webpage. Uh, but the Dream Big Lacrosse Camp, that's that's coming up. We've got nine camps this summer, boys and girls. we got five boys, four girls. So big, big summer lineup coming up, um, but yeah, get get in touch
0: uh, on on social media at J Walters One. Outstanding. Uh, is there a question you wish I asked but I didn't? No, man. I think this was a
1: this was a really insightful you know podcast, man. I learned a lot myself uh, from you talking, so I really appreciate being on here. I appreciate all the things that you said. Uh, this is great, man. I think you hit everything on, on the head, man.
0: Well, I I appreciate our relationship, Joe. I know it's going to continue to flourish from here on out. Thanks for making the time. Thanks, brother. Appreciate you.